And tonight we're going to be looking at the last message in our series on the dark side. We're going to be talking about demonic possession. Mark chapter 5, in just a moment, we're going to begin reading the first nine verses together. We're reading Mark's account of a man that was demonically possessed. And after we're through reading this account, I'm going to give you eight truths about demonic possession that we can glean from the story that we've read and other possession stories that the Bible contains. Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. And they, speaking of Jesus and the disciples, came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when Jesus was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs, or out of the graveyard, a man with an unclean spirit. That's a demon. Who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man control him or tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains, this man who was demonically possessed. He was in the graveyard, he was in the cemetery, he was in the tombs, the crypts. And he cried and he cut himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and he worshipped him. And cried with a loud voice, in verse 7, and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I command you by God that thou not torment me. And Jesus said to the man, Come out of the ma that man, thou unclean spirit. And then Jesus asked the unclean spirit what was his name. And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are in the thousands. Verse 15. After a period of time, they came to see the man that was possessed with the demons, the one that had the legion, and he was sitting and clothed in his right mind. And the people of the town were stunned, they were amazed, even to the point of being afraid. This is the most horrible account of demonic possession given in the Bible. Matthew talks about it, Mark talks about it, and Dr. Luke and the Luke Gospel talks about it. And from this, I believe there's some things you and I should learn about the subject of demonic possession. The first thing I want us to learn tonight is it's real. Demonic possession is real. It's not a sickness or disease. It's not a mental illness. It's not some fabrication or imagination. It's not some superstition or some Hollywood theatrics. This horrible condition is exactly what it says it is. 
one or more demonic spirits enter in and take over a human being. Now it's interesting that while Matthew gives us the story, Matthew has not got credentials about how to analyze this. While Mark gives us the story, he doesn't have credentials how to analyze this. That's why the Lord has Dr. Luke tell the story too. Dr. Luke was a physician. He would later become the personal physician of the greatest Christian man who ever lived, Paul the Apostle. And it's interesting, Dr. Luke, who was a medical doctor, confirms that this was a demonic possession. This wasn't a disease. This was not insanity. This was not some misdiagnosis by people who just wanted to hype and exaggerate something. Dr. Luke was a medical man. He had a medical mind. He had medical training. And he saw this. And he says, it is my opinion this was a demonic possession. So I want you to know demonic possession is real. Secondly, I want us to see that demonic possession brings about radical change in the person that's possessed. In verse 2, we learn that this man has an unclean spirit. He's demonically possessed. Verses 3 through 5, notice his behavior. Interesting, to say the least. This man who was demonically possessed, who had the unclean spirit, he dwelled among the tombs. He lived in the cemetery The graveyard was his home. He lived in a crypt. And no man could bind him, not even with chains. Because they had often bound him with ropes and chains, and the chains he plucked asunder, the ropes he broke into pieces, and no man, no matter what number could tame him or control him. He was uncontrollable. Verse 5, And every night, and even in the day, he would go to the mountains over over above the graveyard, and he would cry. He would howl like an animal, and he would cut himself with stones. Demonic possession is real. Matthew says it's real, Mark says it's real, Dr. Luke says it's real, and most importantly, the Lord Jesus says it's real. And those who are demonically possessed, that possession produces physical changes in them that are very radical and very noticeable. Those who are demonically possessed take on a different physical appearance. Can you picture what this man looked like? Just allow your mind to imagine what he must have looked like. I imagine he was filthy. 
He lives in a graveyard in a cemetery. There's no washroom facilities there. So I can imagine he's covered in dirt and smut from head to toe. I can imagine he has a foul odor that goes with that. Not only is he filthy in how he looks, but he's, he's, he's smelly in how he, his odor. I can imagine his color has changed. I can imagine he perhaps has tattoos all over his body. He scarred himself. I can imagine what clothes he does wear, and the Bible says he didn't wear many. He was mostly naked. I can imagine the clothing that he put on was rather ugly and dark and certainly immodest. People who are demonically possessed, they begin to have a change in the very physical appearance before others. Not only did he have a change in his physical appearance, he had a change in his physical attributes. The Bible said that men tried to control him. They put ropes on him and he busted the ropes. They put chains on him and he broke the chains. They tried to hold him down and he threw them off. He had supernatural strength. Not, not nothing, not, not a strength that a normal man would have. He had the strength of a demonic being or beings. And maybe he could levitate. Maybe he could elevate himself straight up. He certainly had a change in his physical appearance. He had a change in his physical attributes. He had a change in his physical actions. He howled like a dog. He slept with corpses. He cut himself repeatedly, and the scars of those cuts covered his body. He was violent, he was aggressive, he was suicidal, and he was homicidal if he could have got his hands on somebody. Perhaps he had sexual deviations the Bible doesn't mention. Maybe he was a social outcast. Maybe he embraced dark, sinister things. We don't know. But we know this, his appearance and his attributes and his actions radically changed when he became demonically possessed. Thirdly, demonic possession, it's real. You don't have to believe it. It's still real. You don't have to believe 2 plus 2 is 4, but it is 4. Demonic possession's real. It was in Jesus' day. It is today. People who are demonically possessed, they're radically changed physically. Their appearance begins to change. Their attributes change. Their actions change. Thirdly, People who are demonically possessed cannot be cured by the things of this world. In verse 4 it says, 
that they tried to tame him. They are humans, men like you and I, smart men, strong men, men who are of, of savvy. The Bible says nobody could handle him. People who are demonically possessed cannot be set free by prison. You can lock them up, but you can't free them from the demon. You can give them pills to conk them out, but those pills will never drive away the the demon that's in them. You can put them on a 12-step program of demonic deliverance, (laughs) and they'll still be possessed. You can call your local priest or pastor, and he can't do anything. There's no potion that you can sprinkle on them that will deliver them. There's no practice of exorcism that will work. There's no psychiatrist or psychologist or psychotherapy that will be effective. Look at me. When a person is demonically possessed, there is nothing humanly that can be done. Nothing. Nothing. You say, but pastor, I saw a Hollywood movie. Oh, that's good. And pastor, in that movie, they were demon hunters. And they had all kind of weapons, and they hunted down people that had demons, and they they vanquished the demons and freed the people. And pastor, you don't know about a certain denomination? They have a ritual of exorcism. It's traditional. It's historical. And if you follow that ritual according to this denomination, you can exorcise a demon. Pastor, you haven't seen on the TV that they have these paranormal shows? They they got these scientists and technocrats. And they go into homes that are haunted and they go to people that are possessed and, and, and they strike up a deal with the demons. They have an agreement. They make a deal with them. And they leave the house and they leave the person. So, Pastor, I, I, I think you're, what you're saying is most of the time what men do doesn't work, but there are exceptions, right, Pastor? <laughs> I have a polite word for those of you who believe that. It's called baloney. There is no demon hunters. There is no acts of exorcism, no matter how much somebody flouts it and touts it. There are no paranormal scientists who can do anything. When a man or a woman is demonically possessed, there is nothing this side of heaven that will work. Nothing. Fourthly, demonic spirits cannot randomly possess people. It's interesting in verse 15 when Jesus delivers this man, which we'll talk about in a minute. The Bible says he had his right mind. His right mind. The implication is 
there, came, there was a time in his life when he had the wrong mind. And that wrong mind perhaps contributed to his possession. Now listen to me carefully. The Lord Jesus nor the Holy Spirit come into anybody's life unless they're invited to. Jesus doesn't just say, I'm going to come into your life and save you, whether you want me to or not. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, hears my knock, and opens his door, Jesus says, I will come in. For the Lord Jesus to come into your life, you must invite Him to come in. For the Spirit of God to come into your life, it's by invitation only. They cannot just barge into any, somebody's life and take it over. And what's true of the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit is true of demonic spirits. They cannot just randomly pick people out and say, I'm going to possess her, I'm going to possess him. And do it. They can only come by invitation. Now your question might be, Pastor, who in their right mind would invite a demon to possess them? Well, I believe there's two kinds of people that would do it. The first, do it intentionally. They're intentional fools. They're willing to sell their soul to the devil if they can have power, if they can have riches, if they can have fame, if they can have sexual escapades. And I might say this to you, if you be one of those people who would consider that, Satan will give you that for a little while. He'll give you a little power. He'll give you a little money. He'll give you a little fame. He'll give you relationships if that's what you want. But remember, everything He gives, He takes away. And when you give Him your soul, whatever He gives you in return, you've sold your soul too cheap. Some people, though, I suppose there's not many of them with the wrong mind sell their soul to the devil and they intentionally bring him into their life. But I think most demon possession is not intentional. People don't just say, this is what I want to do and come in, invite them to come. I think most of it is ignorance. Not intentional, but ignorance. There's intentional fools and there's ignorant fools. And people who are ignorant don't understand how the dark side works. Because you know you can invite demons into your life and not even know you're doing it. And the way that you do that is, is you give your mind up. That's why the battle is for the mind. 
It's always been for the mind. If I can get your mind, I got you. So if you intentionally or ignorantly give up your mind, demonic possession can occur. I didn't say it always will occur because some of you will say, well, I've done that a thousand times and nothing's happened to me. See, I know what you think. You can hold a revolver in your hand too with one bullet of six in the chamber. And you can squeeze that for 30 days in a row and laugh and say, I didn't get shot. But one day your luck's going to run out. And we'll sweep you away. You play with demons, and one day you're going to get bit. You say, well, pastor, how does one ignorantly open up their mind where demonic possession can occur? By allowing things into your life that takes away your ability to control your mind. Alcohol. Do you know when you drink alcohol, alcohol begins to take over your thought processes? You give your mind up to alcohol. That's why people who are on alcohol do foolish things and wicked things. And whenever you do that, you're opening a door. And demonic beings can come in that open door if they so choose. The use of drugs that control your mind open the door for demonic possession if they wish to come in. Practicing the occult. And I don't have time to go into all of that, but there are certain things that you can do dabbling in, you might say, that you think are innocent, but what they're doing is opening a doorway for demonic beings to come into you. Sexual perversions. Practicing sexuality as God never intended it to be practiced outside holy matrimony. These are just things that open up that doorway and invite demonic spirits to come in, whether you know it or not. It's kind of like going home and saying, I'm never going to lock my front door anymore. Does that mean a thief will come in tonight? No. Does it mean he'll come in next month? No. Does it mean he'll come in next year? No. But you keep your front door open and unlock long enough, and you are going to find somebody coming into your house one day. And people who dabble in things like alcohol and drugs and occultism and sexual deviations and perversions, all they're doing is opening the door and say, come on in if you want to. Fifthly, demons are terrified of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6 and 7, when... This man that was demonically possessed saw the Son of the living God coming. Notice what happens in verse 6 and 7. He saw Jesus way far away. And he ran toward him. He ran toward him 
and bowed down to him. The Bible says worshipped him in the King James, but it really wasn't a worship. It was a bowing down of reverence and respect from one who recognizes he's standing in the presence of a superior. And he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus? Thou Son of the Most High God. It's interesting that the demonic spirit recognizes Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. We got a bunch of foolish theologians who don't. They're not as smart as the demon. The demon knew who he was. He's the Son of the Living God. And he says, I command you in the name of God that you do not torment me now. This man filled with these demonic spirits runs to Jesus and falls down in reverence and respect to the Son of God. And they ask Jesus not to cast them into hell. Not to torment them now. They know it's coming, but not now. That brings us to an interesting question. Pastor Explain that to me. Why would they ask Jesus not to cast them into hell? I thought demons controlled hell. No, they don't. The Lord Jesus who made heaven, who made earth, made hell. He made heaven for those that would follow him. And sadly and tearfully, he made hell for the devil and his demons and those who will not follow him in the human race. Hell is a prison, a prison that one day Satan will be in. One day every demon will be in, and all who reject Jesus Christ will be there. The devil isn't the king of hell. Jesus is the king of kings. Lord of lords, heaven, earth, and hell, and everything in between. And these demons recognize that. And they know there's a judgment coming. They're just saying to him, don't judge us now. Some demons are already being judged. They're chain demons. They're in chains for sexual crimes they committed against the human race. They will be released in the tribulation period. Most demons, though, are loose demons. They're not chained. They're, they, they have a freedom to go about and do their dastardly work. And these loose demons are what have infested and infiltrated this man. And they realize that Jesus is going to cast them out. They understand what he's coming for. And so they say, Jesus, instead of throwing us into hell where one day we know we're going, may we ask of you, throw us into the pigs. Send us into the pigs, into the swine. Now it's interesting if you think about this. 
When Jesus asked the demon to identify himself because he's speaking through the man's mouth, the demon identifies himself as legion. A legion, historically speaking, is upwards to 6,000 soldiers. Legions were a part of the Roman army. And normally they consisted of a group of soldiers or varying groups of soldiers that totaled up to 6,000 men. So what this demon is saying to Jesus is, there's 6,000 of us inside him. That shows you the capacity for wickedness that we have. Can you imagine 6,000 wicked demons inside one man? Now you might think, well, why didn't the demons just take on Jesus? 6,000 to 1, that's pretty good odds. Really? (laughs) They realized they were no match for Him. He created them. He created them to be angels, but they fell by their own choice to become demons. And created beings will never match a Creator. They understood six million of them couldn't take him on. So they bowed to him in respect of his power. Verse 8, number 6. The Lord Jesus gives the order and the possessed man is set free. Point number 6, the Lord Jesus speaks the command. And the demon is driven out. The demons are driven out. The man is set free. Look at verse 8. Jesus says, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit or demons. Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Why don't we see that in Hollywood movies? (laughs) Because that kind of movie wouldn't sell. You got to have theatrics in Hollywood. Got to have theatrics when you write a book. Got to have theatrics when you're trying to sell somebody a program. Listen to your pastor. There's no rituals involved in casting out demons. There's no ceremonies involved in casting out demons. There's no acts of exorcism in casting out demons. There's no long, drawn-out process in casting out demons. There's no drama. There's no debate. There's no dueling back and forth. When Jesus commands the demons to leave, they go. It's over. When He gives the word, they go. It's that simple. He gives the command and it's done. And the demons immediately are vanquished from this man's life. He's set free. His sin is forgiven. His life is changed. And victory has come to him through the power of the Son. You see, there's authority... In the name of Jesus. 
You say, I'm not Jesus. No, you're not. But we have the authority of Jesus when it comes to demons. And we can order them out in His name. You say, me? Yeah, you. Me? Yeah, me. You see, we have a badge on us that Jesus Christ gives us, and that authority is found in His badge. You've heard me tell the story many times. You can go out there and stand in Miles Road, and you can stand out there and do like this if you all you want. And those cars will flatten you out. And we'll put you in the icebox and bury you in a couple weeks. And at your eulogy, I'll say you were a foolish person. But you notice Sunday morning, there we got, we got one guy that stands out there. And he steps out in the middle of Miles Road and he does this and everybody stops. He isn't always a big guy. He's, sometimes he's a short little fellow. And sometimes he looks a little weak. Some of you are bigger than him. Some of you are stronger than him. But if you did what he did, you'd get run over. And so would I. You know why they stopped for him? Because he has a badge on. And that badge gives him the authority issued by the state of South Carolina to stop cars. And those cars know if you hit him, you got the whole state coming after you. And we've got a badge of authority that Jesus Christ gave us. And Satan ain't going to mess with us because he knows if he messes with us, he's got to deal with the Son of the living God. Seventhly, demons cannot possess a child of God. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. A strong man cannot come into the house of a stronger man and take it over. Jesus is the stronger. Demonic spirits cannot invade the dwelling place of His Holy Spirit. Cannot do it. So if you're a child of God, what we are learning tonight cannot happen to you. But you need to understand it. And then the last thing I want us to see from our story is that demon, demonic activity and possessions are going to sharply increase as the coming of the Antichrist draws near. This morning we talked about the coming of Satan's son, the Antichrist. And just as when Jesus came, the Bible says He came in the fullness of time when everything was ready. Satan is preparing the world for the coming of His Son. He's preparing the world to be a place where His Son will feel comfortable. Demonic possessions are going to be on the rise What does that mean? We're going to see more and more sadistic abusers of women and children. We're going to see more and more 
serial rapists and serial murderers doing their havoc. We're going to see more and more crazed terrorists killing innocent people in the name of some God or no God at all. We're going to see sexual deviants practicing their pervasions and perversions more and more and more. Revelation 20 gives us a picture of the world. A world of people who have turned themselves over to the things of the devil. And therefore they're possessed and have no interest in the things of God ever again. I hope this has been helpful to you tonight. I hope it's been a warning to some of us about how we might need to manage our homes and our loved ones a little bit differently. Because these things that we say or think are so innocent that they do can have eternal consequences. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.